0: more waves of exiles return to the hollow city of Jerusalem, and Ezra and Nehemiah work to reform the city and the people. On the Bible Brief. We're so excited to get started on the New Testament next week. If you've been waiting to recommend the podcast to a friend, now's the time. Tell them to start listening with us on Monday, October 30th, as we begin the New Testament. From the prophet Isaiah, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a remnant, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The second temple was not like the first. It was smaller, less ornate, and less, well, glorious than the temple initially built by Solomon in that golden age of the kingdom of Israel. In some ways, it was a monument to a glorious past that seemed solidly in the past. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't in the temple. There was no glory cloud of God showing his pleasure at its construction. All the marks emphasizing the dedication of the first temple were essentially absent upon the completion of the second. God had commanded the building of this second temple, yet its completion didn't bring about a national or even citywide revival. Jerusalem was an empty shell, with only this second temple at its center. Commerce in the city was slow, and the city wall was mostly destroyed and in disrepair. And to make matters worse, the former impenetrable city was vulnerable from every direction. So much so that no one even lived within the city, preferring the surrounding countryside to the vulnerability of Jerusalem. The temple had been built by those initial returners under Jeshua and Zerubbabel, but many years later, Everything else about the city still needed reformation and rejuvenation. God's chosen city was still in ruins, even if the temple itself was standing. And yet, the city wasn't the only thing that needed reformation. The returning Jews needed it too, and this was especially discovered by the leader of the second wave of returners, a priest by the name of Ezra. It's been about 16 years since the crisis among the Jews in Persia. That crisis instigated by the wicked Haman, who had intended great harm to the Jewish people throughout all the provinces. 16 years since the day of genocide became the day of victory for the exiled nation. Perhaps some were motivated to get out of the center of Persia for fear of another event like this. Perhaps others truly desire to return to their homeland in the land of Canaan. In any case, with the king of Persia's permission and support, Ezra the priest was able to organize another wave of returners to the promised land. Thanks to God's hand in the life of Ezra and in the king of Persia, the often treacherous journey was smooth, and the financing for such a trek and for further work on the temple came from the king's treasuries and out of his generosity. God had worked such bounty in the heart of the king of Persia that Ezra reflects on this event with these words. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up to Jerusalem with me. Soon after arrival, however, Ezra discovers the rot that has developed among those first returners who'd come about 80 years prior. They had begun to pervert or even ignore the law that God had given the nation through Moses. They had begun to practice the very same things that caused this exile in the first place. Their sacrifices were from the worst of their animals, the blind and lame. Their worship was polluted by faithlessness among the people. And they had begun intermarrying the people of the land. Awful observations first made by the prophet Malachi and subsequently discovered by Ezra upon his arrival. And Ezra, the faithful studier of the law and the priest, immediately goes into mourning, praying to God on behalf of the people, saying this, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads.' And our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? for we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever." And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped, as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. You can sense the devastation in Ezra's heartfelt prayer. He knows that God has been merciful to allow the remnant of Judah to come back to the land. He knows that God worked in the hearts of Persia's kings to make this all happen. And yet in the face of undeserved grace, the Jews are still rebelling against God's law. They are intermarrying with the people of the land, and for this Ezra knows they deserve judgment. Yet after this prayer of confession, the nation comes together in repentance for this great breach of the law that they had perpetrated. They make a plan to put away their foreign wives, and in a great assembly in the pouring rain before the temple, the people all commit to separate themselves from the people of the land to turn back to God and to do his will. God remains merciful to his rebellious people, the remnant who had returned from exile, and Ezra was his tool to begin a reformation among the returners, that they might follow him once again. Now a little over a decade later, the third wave of exiles shows up, and they're led by a man named Nehemiah, a man on a mission. Back in Persia, as he was working for the king, someone had brought him news and said, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. This news from the land greatly affected Nehemiah, and due to his sad and mournful posture, even the king of Persia took notice. Now, Nehemiah had been a faithful servant to the king, and so upon hearing of the state of Jerusalem, the king readily grants Nehemiah's request to go and rebuild the city's walls and its gates. So Nehemiah quickly goes to Jerusalem and surveys the walls of the city. Walls that would make it safe to live in Jerusalem, safe for commerce and defensible from enemies. And they would need defense. Almost immediately after coming back to the land, there is intense opposition to Nehemiah's building of the wall. He mustered lots of Jews to help, and yet the local peoples in the region began to make a plane of violent resistance. A defensible Jerusalem was seen as a threat to their dominance, and a defensible Jerusalem was a sign of potentially more power development in the city to come. Yet through prayer and diligence, Nehemiah and his workers continue. Nehemiah stations people with swords, spears, and bows for defense of the workers, and even the workers themselves had an extra burden. They would work with one hand and stand ready with a weapon in the other. Nehemiah was determined to complete this mission, and if that meant fighting while working, then so be it. They worked and worked, from dawn to dusk, always on edge, always listening for the sound of an enemy, always ready for the surprise attack. Their enemies hire false prophets to discourage their work and even attempt to lure Nehemiah into assassination. But even through all this, God's hand was on the work, just as Nehemiah's was. In just 52 days, Nehemiah's men complete the wall of the city. 52 days to create and support a massive stone wall encompassing Jerusalem. And their enemies fell back in dread. With that speed and that determination, they knew that this wasn't merely the work of a man. It was the work of God. The city itself was being reformed by Nehemiah, and Ezra was continuing to reform the people. Soon after this magnificent completion of the wall, Ezra gathers all the people into the square of the city, and he does something that perhaps should have been elementary for the people. He read them their law. The law that had been given by God through Moses a thousand years prior. A law that should have been ingrained in their bones but was often the furthest thing from their minds. As he read, the people began to newly understand their sins, their need for faith in God, the requirements of God's law for the nation. And while they were tempted to mourn in the face of all this learning, Nehemiah said this to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The three waves of exiles had returned to the promised land, They had constructed a new foundation, a new temple, new gates, and new walls. Their reconstruction of the burned city had succeeded so far, despite the opposition. Yet the reformation of the people was only beginning. As Ezra read the law and explained it, they understood, and their understanding filled them with regret and sadness at their sin. But Nehemiah knew that this was no place to stay. Grief without direction is a path toward depression, but grief oriented toward hope is another thing entirely. Hope means celebration at the slightest turning toward God. Hope means rejoicing that past sin doesn't have to be future sin. Hope means rejoicing in Yahweh, for Yahweh is your strength. Perhaps over these episodes, we've all learned some things ourselves things that bring up regret for past sin, grief at where we went wrong, sadness at the missed opportunities of the past. In this moment, however, we can make a decision together. Instead of mourning, we can celebrate. We can celebrate the God who takes even the darkest moments of our lives and uses them for our good and for His glory. We can celebrate that for believers. God uses all things, even those things we wish that we could take back, to help us look more like His Son. When confronted with our own sin, we will grieve it, and then we'll turn to God with joy in His salvation. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023